Welcome to the second episode of Capgemini Cybersecurity Tip Podcast Series. Here we are discussing security aspects in regards of the retail industry. In episode one, we touched on the threat intelligence aspects of the retail industry and how technical vulnerabilities only are part of the threat landscape. I'm your host, Peter Hansen, and today we are focusing more specifically on the security aspects in regards to usage of cloud providing platforms and services when you're a retail company. So with me from UK is once again, Lee. Hi, Lee. Hi, Peter. Good to be back. Good to have you back. So to start with, any fun facts to share? Well, I think this one is quite good fun. So the Amazon EC2 service was launched back as a beta back in August 2006. Uh, we're now in 2019. So this means that the public IS cloud is about to enter its teenage years. What could possibly go wrong? Teenage is always a fun time. <laughs> so talking about cloud, um, a cloud droplet, now we're talking about real cloud. It's actually just 0.02 millimeter in diameter. Wow, you need, need lots of those to make a decent cloud. Yeah. So started talking about the clouds we are supposed to talk about. So I actually would like to start on the definition of public cloud. So a misinterpretation is very often that a public means that everything you put there is indeed public as in available for everyone. Is that the case? No, not at all. I mean, I'm a, I'm a great fan of the NIST cloud definitions. So NIST being the National Institute for Standards and Technologies over in the States. And they've got the set of definitions for the different cloud service models and the different cloud deployment models. So if we're talking about the public cloud, it just means that the services on offer are publicly available to individuals, businesses, charities, government, whomever it may be. But it is up to the cloud consumer to then secure the information services that they host on such public cloud services. And it is very much up to the consumer not to break some of the secure by default settings that the providers will typically offer. And that is a not so subtle hint at some S3 users not to open up their storage buckets to the internet unless they're being used to host their static website. So a lot of, a lot of companies actually, especially in, in, um, in Europe, I believe, is, is sort of using the term public, using the term of the, the big three players, that would be Amazon, uh, Microsoft, and Google, to use, use the term public and use the term that they are, are indeed available very easily as a disadvantage. Um, so would you say that that, that that actually is the case? No, I don't think you could say that's an advantage or a disadvantage. I mean, one of the, the reasons behind the massive uptake of cloud was always because it was so easy to, to access. So you just need your internet connection and a credit card and, and away you go, you can sign up to the services. That can be a issue when it comes to things like shadow IT, which we might touch on a little bit more later on, because all it takes for one of your business users getting frustrated with central IT is to go away and use maybe their corporate card or perhaps even their personal card to go and sign up your organization to access some of these cloud services. And that can be problematic. Yeah. So so we can conclude then that just because it's labeled public cloud doesn't make it less private necessarily than a private cloud. 
Ah, oh, I'm not sure I go quite that far. Uh, so, <laughs> so I think when you start thinking about a private cloud, that is something that is purely limited to your own organization. You could host that in your own data centers. You could host that on a cloud provider's data centers. But the key there is that that's only available to your organization. So when you start thinking about uh, attack surfaces and things like that, you only really have to worry about your organization and then the boundaries that your provider or hosting partner is, is putting around that cloud service. Whereas with the public cloud, you will be sharing more elements of that service with the other tenants of the service. So I think there is a difference, certainly a difference there in attack surface between public and private. Uh, but the benefits of public tend to be that they will uh, be a bit more dynamic in terms of the services that they offer and a bit more innovative as well. So if you build your own private cloud, you also then have to start worrying about uh, provision as well to make sure that you provision enough resource to cope with any spikes that you've got. So th there are pros and cons for the public and private, but I'm a yeah, and, and then then I, I read that as as it's actually back to 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 the risk assessment and risk management of the the type of information you're going to put in in the cloud um, that makes you choose whether it's going to be in in a in a public cloud or in a private cloud. Yeah, I think you need some very strong compliance regulatory drivers to stick with private or perhaps some technology limitations. You're not going to uh, necessarily lift and shift a mainframe into Amazon at the moment. Uh, you can certainly shift the workloads, but that's more of a transform transformation than a, than a lift and shift. So what, what would you say are the most common challenges we see and, and even the anticipate going forward when it comes to cloud adoption in general? I'll start with the governance side of things because it's easy to drop straight into the technology. But organizations need to make sure that they've got the appropriate strategy and risk ownership and governance structures in place. So like, who owns the cloud strategy? Who owns the associated cloud security risk? And do these uh, individuals actually have the power to enforce compliance? Now, I'm not saying that, that actually needs to be centralized. So if you're operating some form of multimodal IT, then you'll likely find you need a mixture of traditional centralized security approaches and the more distributed approach where you have maybe security champions embedded within the various development teams. If you don't get the governance right, then you leave yourself open to all sorts of pain, uh, particularly things like shadow IT, which we spoke about earlier on, uh, cloud sprawl, where you just have lots of different cloud services and lots of different uh, virtual private cloud environments, maybe lots of different Azure VNets, uh, and maybe even the lifting and shifting of old ways of working into the into the new cloud world. And you don't want that. You want to have kind of cloud native ways of working in the cloud world. You don't just want to take what you're familiar with and just do the same stuff in the cloud because that just uh, limits your, your future potential. Away from the governance side, then you do have the more technical aspects that we always talk about in security. So identity and entitlements management, particularly privileged access management. That's always a, a fun topic in the cloud. Uh, security monitoring across your cloud supply chains and your SaaS services, your IS services, your PaaS services. How do you get a single view of what's happening to your stuff? Uh, encryption and key management. That's always a tricky issue on premises as well, to be fair. But encryption and key management is something that regularly crops up with conversations with clients. And then you've got the I spoke about new ways of working. You've got to start thinking about how can you embed security into the development lifecycle, the whole shift left and DevSecOps uh, approach. And then, of course, shadow IT. I mentioned earlier on, organizations need to make sure that they know which cloud services they're using, uh, particularly when it comes to SaaS. It's very hard to control access to data if you don't really know where it is. And GDPR has some very strong views when it comes to information asset, asset registers and privacy by design. 
but that's where things like Caspi's can be very useful, uh, making sure that you can control which cloud services are being used and what users can do within them. So this, this actually contradicts a little bit how we see that, that our customers use cloud and adopt cloud at the moment, right? Because you, you talk about um, the governance of it, you talk about actually having control and, and possibly even even adding additional control just because the fact that you're not you're not storing your data within your own data center. But in many cases, I've seen um, business ad- adopting cloud in a way that goes out of the control of of uh, IT and information security. I wouldn't say putting in additional controls when it's within cloud. I tend to see it as being maybe slightly different controls because it's one of the things that I've always argued against is that idea that you need to put 10 times as much security around your data just because it's on the cloud than you would do when it was on-premises. It tends to be the same data. It would be the same impact on your organization if that data gets compromised. So just put the appropriate controls in place, uh, but that may well be different controls to what you have on-premises. What you do not want to do is just lift and shift your existing tooling and processes into the cloud because that's just the same kind of legacy mess just in a different place. So try and move towards more cloud native security controls is my my advice in that area. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I agree to that. And I think I, I might have, have put it a little bit not as I intended to. Um, but w- whenever you look at traditional company and they need to put a new system into, into their own data center, um, the technical aspects, um, usually at least IT security, hopefully also information security gets involved uh, and make the just judgment. But when it comes to to anyone within the business procuring a SaaS service, for example, they can do that without the interaction of, of uh, any of the traditional teams. Yes, they can. And that's the whole danger of shadow IT. You don't know what your business is doing unless you make the effort to go off there and identify what SaaS services are being used. I've had a few clients who had some very nasty surprises when they do uh, do, do that scan of what SaaS services they're using. Uh, I had one big multinational that ended up finding out that they'd been using something like 4,000 SaaS services, which was a bit of a surprise because they only thought they had about 500 in their CMDB. Uh, so they do have a bit of an exposure there to uh, GDPR issues. Yeah, and, and and also the fact that some of the SaaS services are within, within uh, quotes, uh, for free, um, which also means that if you, if you look from a, from a legal aspect, um, the way your data is actually protected by, by legal boundaries are, are different compared to whether you would buy a service. Yeah, and then you get into all kinds of discussions around service duplication. So how many file transfer tools does any organization need? And why do you need quite so many PDF converters and why are so many of them hosted in China? So what would you say makes retail unique in this? I guess in some cases, it's the reluctance to make use of uh, Amazon because they're, they're seen as a competitor. Uh, but that said, I was listening to the keynote from the AWS Summit in London earlier this week, and they had this uh, CDO from Sainsbury's, big UK retail uh, organization on stage, giving a presentation about how they make use of Amazon. So it's not the case that all uh, retailers are allergic to, to Amazon. Uh, outside of that concern, retail does have to be very dynamic these days. Uh, stock can change quickly. Offers certainly change quickly. Uh, competition is fierce and margins are tight. Uh, but there's perhaps also a, la- a history of a lack of investment in security and IT. So you'll see lots of retailers with uh, big flat networks 
lots of individual technology silos, lots of channels that their customers can interact with, but no common holistic view of customer interaction. Uh, that's where a move towards cloud can provide the opportunity to address those issues whilst also improving security, because you've got this more or less greenfield site to go and build on rather than uh, transform lots of your, your legacy stuff, which might be a bit more problematic. Uh, there's also lots of personal information in retail. So you've got payment card details, names and addresses, transaction histories. And some of this can be very personal uh, when you start thinking about what retailers can infer from your transaction history, uh, things about your habits, interests, circumstances. So there's lots of information there that organizations and retailers need to be careful of in terms of how they manage that. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the question around integrity and that would actually be, well, it wasn't that fun maybe for the one that, that were affected by it, but you have this, this occasion where where um, one of the retailers sent, sent uh, a mail to, to a mailbox and it turned out that, that uh, a father of, of, of a young girl uh, realized that his daughter was pregnant just because they, they were using they were using information um, from her surf behavior on, on trying to do target marketing. Yeah, that is a, a famous example of where this stuff can go wrong in terms of that, that pattern matching and privacy impacts. Uh, but again, that's maybe something where, where cloud can help. So if you start thinking about Google, uh, the Google DLP service, it's got a risk analysis capability and it can do uh, analysis on the data that you think you've uh, de-identified. And it can do analysis based on things like key anonymity uh, rather than just seeing whether or not you've stripped personal data Using something like K-anonymity, you can see quite how anonymous you've made your data. Uh, the whole idea of K-anonymity is that you've massaged your data so that there are always K-1 records that have got the same characteristics. So you can never identify a single individual. You could always identify a group of K-1 who share the same characteristics. So one, one, one additional when it comes to, to retail and, and cloud-based services as such. So if we look at AI, um, I mean, that, that's been, been gaining tracks quite a lot the last couple of years. Uh, and one of the things that, that's been preventing, I think, uh, a lot from, from, from using machine learning or AI or advanced analytics has been um, the investment cost. But now we see the, these services coming quite a lot, and those, those should be specifically uh, of interest for, for retail, right? Yeah, I think so, uh, but managed appropriately. Uh, you, you mentioned the, the famous example there of the father finding out about his daughter's uh, pregnancy via a, a retail mail shot. Uh, you do need to be careful about how you make use of the information that you infer. Yeah, and especially in, in terms of GDPR, that actually have additional protection when it comes to automatic processing of, of information. Yeah, I still think that's one of the biggest issues in privacy at the moment is how do you handle inferred data? Because it's not data that's been provided by the subject. It's data that the uh, the processor has created based on the provided data. Uh, and I am not a GDPR expert in that particular area, but I think that's still an area of some discussion more generally. Yeah, definitely. So it's the, the right, the right um, of getting what data someone possesses of you, uh, the subject access request. Um, the law actually specifies that it, it is you have the right to get the data that you have provided, but the definition of data you have provided would that mean that data you have actually entered, or would that also mean the data on 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 what you actually looked at since you clicked on the different links? Yeah, and then you have the whole question of shadow profiles as well. 
So as a retailer, it'll be their parents that are going off shopping. Uh, but if they're buying lots of uh, Avengers toys and Marvel comics, they can probably start building up a little bit of a profile about other people in the household yeah. as well. Not that I wouldn't buy Marvel comics and toys as a grown-up, but <laughs> that's a slightly yeah, different Yeah, of course you wouldn't. Um, <laughs> do you have any closing remarks, conclusions? Uh no, I don't think there's anything major that we haven't covered today. Uh, cloud is a good opportunity for retail because of that chance it offers to move away from the, the, the legacy estates that lots of the big organizations have got and to maybe do things a, a little bit more agile uh, on the cloud. And I think that's a transformation that retailers do need to make because if they don't, I think I said this in the first podcast as well. Uh, Amazon will eat them for breakfast because Amazon are agile. They can service their customers much more quickly. Yeah. So that's actually all the time we have today uh, regarding this episode of the Capgemini Cybersecurity Podcast um, with additional folks in the retail sector. So thank you very much, Lee, for joining me. Thanks, Peter. Speak again soon. I would also like to thank the listener uh, from wherever you are. Um, I would also like to point out that there will be additional episodes coming out with retail specifically in mind. Um, you will find these pods in the Capgemini channel using your standard pod player. And if you enjoyed this, feel free to share it via social media. Goodbye for now.